Welcome back to another episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan, joined as always by Will Schroeder, my friend, the founder and CEO of Startups.com. Well, one of the things that we talk about a lot in the startup world is competition. We seem to be competing against a nearly unending set of bosses that we have to battle over and over and over again. What the heck are they and when do we finally win? And when can we just sit back and contemplate our victories? <laughs> They're only that easy. Truth is, as we'll talk about today, we don't beat these bosses largely because we invent them. Largely no. because, yeah, no, who we're competing against are people that we make up. And by way of that, we never seem to beat them. I don't know about you, Ryan. I'm 30 years into my career. And if you look at my progress bar in my mind of how things have gone, it literally hasn't moved past like 10% since like freshman year of college. Because every single time I think that, you know, I'm winning, all I do is just reset the stakes and start over again. And what I've come to learn in, in my ancient wisdom of these past 30 years is that I'm not really competing against any of the things that I think I'm competing against, like actual competitors, etc. I'm competing with a bunch of ideas in my mind of what I should be beating. And every time I beat them, I reset the stakes and I do it all over again. And I never really feel like I've won anything. So Let's put some therapy on you and I today. <laughs> Use it. Make sure how the hell's been happening for the past 30 years. Well, apparently, all of my imaginary friends from childhood who were super sweet, fun, engaging, adventurous, and just love to do all the things I do and encourage me to do things I probably shouldn't have have turned out to be real jerks as they've grown up. Right? <laughs> what happened? I used yeah, to invent right. such lovely characters in my mind. Why are all of the uh, my imaginary friends now uh, just pushing back and, and causing me to question myself, doubt myself, and be dissatisfied with everything that I'm accomplishing? What happened? I think like this, right? We hang out with founders all day long, right? Yeah. Both personally and professionally. These are these tend to be some of the most optimistic, yes. hardworking, ambitious people that you can possibly yes. meet, right? Like the fabric of kind of the creation of everything around us, right? Why is it that consistently when we talk to all of them, they all feel like they could have been better? Now, part of yes. you can say, well, that's why they're so ambitious. Sort of, right? Kind of, right. <laughs> sort of, right? There's another side of it, which is we all have this almost like tortured ability that no matter how well we do, we can't seem to enjoy it or we can't seem to take the W. We just look at it and go, oh, I guess I have to show up tomorrow and work harder. No matter what I've done in my career, it was never enough. And I want to know why. <laughs> what the hell's going on here? It blows my mind. Yeah, it's funny too, because we talk to a lot of founders, right? And so often there's this crazy twofold narrative, one where they're like, you know, I set out to do this thing and it's some relatively small thing. And they're like, I just got curious about this problem. And then, you know, I, I started to explore it. And then that led to, you know, some sort of a solution. And then that blew up into this other thing and it got even bigger. And on one hand, they're like, you know, what startups, this tiny idea has clearly blossomed into something amazing. Right. And then they'll turn around and in the next breath, you're like, and you know, we're just not really satisfied with where we've gotten from a product standpoint. You know, the market hasn't matured. They're like, wait a second, two, two minutes ago, you were telling me how this was like some weird hobby <laughs> that you spent, you know, your weeks, uh, your evenings and, and weekends on. And now it's a, a burgeoning, blossoming and growing business, but it's not growing fast. It's like, at what point do we just arbitrarily shift the bar 
to something that's just out of reach? Like, is that just our nature? It's like, well, I guess I've gotten here. Time to move it forward again to somewhere that I can't quite reach yet. Here's what's crazy. I meet so few founders and I want to, I want to isolate to founders here. I meet so few founders. I actually can't think of any. I'm, I'm using that you know, euphemistically, but I actually can't think of any that are like, I'm good. Everything is good. I'm so much further ahead than I thought I would be. I'm doing so well. I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I'm safe. I'm all these things. How is it out of the most successful people I know, none of them seem to say that, right? In fact, it's so polar opposite. <laughs> it's so consistently polar opposite. Where is all this coming from? Like, why are we so beaten or dissatisfied if we're the most successful people out there? You know, it's interesting. You just you brought something really interesting to mind right now, which is that I do know some people like that. And all of a sudden I realize that everybody that's falling on that side of the fence would fall into this distinction that we've made in some cases between entrepreneurs and startup founders or entrepreneurs. Ah, and, right. and, okay. And, okay. Right? Fair. Yep. So they are founders in a right. They started a business. They grew something. But for example, one of those was this, this guy that I knew who had a fence rental company, right? Yep. He's pretty happy. He spends all of his day on a boat at this point and somebody else runs this business, right? But there wasn't anything very innovative about it. It was just like he bought a bunch of fences and then he rents them to the government. Yeah. Cool. Makes a lot of money. But I think it goes back to like, is what you're doing somehow purpose-driven? Because I feel like it's the purpose that we feel like we set out to really do something, make a dent in the world. If we still don't fully see that dent realize, we're not going to be fully satisfied. So I think that it's one more of those subtle illustrations around what we mean when we talk about the difference between like a small business and a startup or an entrepreneur and a founder. And it occurred to me that as you did that, I was running through this laundry list of founders, man, like I know some happy people. I'm like, aha, but there's a common characteristic amongst all of them in that I wouldn't couch any of them specifically as a startup founder. Sure. Let's categorize specifically who or what we think sure. we're competing with. So we can start to isolate where is it that it's breaking? Right. Like who are we competing with and where are we falling short? It's that startup that just launched their landing page eight minutes ago that has a product ID that's vaguely like mine, right? It's unbelievable to me. Like, <laughs> like I look at it and I say to myself, okay, I know that categorically, this is their peers, right? Almost logically as a benchmark. So that could be everything from family, you know, the the two brothers that are that are super competitive, right? To people I work with, to friends I grew up with, you name it, right? It doesn't matter where it comes from. Hell, all of Facebook. <laughs> like I'm scrolling through <laughs> Facebook and I'm just comparing everything to everything, right? So let's start with our peers categorically, like, like how we're competing with our peers and why and all this stuff. I'll explain kind of like what my version is of competing with my peers, okay? So when I grew up, I grew up in a tough childhood, a, a tough household, and we were basically you know, welfare poor. And so in my mind, my baseline was if I could just eat, and I'm not even like kidding, like if I was, if I could just eat, yeah, I'm golden, yep, right? That was it. my baseline. That was what I was competing against, right? And so, and, and my friends were all way further ahead because <laughs> they had food and like, and so they were in a, a much different place, right? And I, and I wanted to be like them, just be able to come home and always have food. Anyway, so I thought if someday... I could get past that hurdle. I'd be golden. And guess what? Lo and behold, like I got a job making $5 an hour and I accomplished that. <laughs> I, I could pay for food, right? Golden, right? Didn't change a thing. You didn't stop there? Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. But I never thought about like competing with my peers beyond that level. That, that was the first time where I had like a, a specific benchmark that I was trying to get past that I was competing with. And I beat it. And the moment I beat it, like three seconds later, I was like, yeah, but what's next? And that's where it started for me. 
right? The first time I realized that it wasn't going to be enough and then just continued an entire life of no matter, no matter who I be, and I mean beat relative, I'm not trying to beat anybody, right? I'm just saying for whatever reason felt like I did something beyond what they did. I just found someone else that had more than I <laughs> I felt just as crappy. It's amazing. What's the journey that been like for you? It's similar peers. You know, if I think I'm going to go back to an example from childhood, right, which was uh, not nearly as stark as yours. Um, Thank God. You know, I is is athletic competition. Right. So going back to like being a soccer player as a kid, I remember walking out on the field the first day, literally having never seen the game played. Right. This is the early 80s in the U.S. It was a bad word. Like you weren't allowed to say it at school. So, you know, going to play soccer was this weird thing. And so I went to try it. My dad signed me up for the league and we went and show up. And I had no idea. I'm wearing like sweatpants and a T-shirt and I had no idea what's going on. And I felt so out of place, right? Because the other kids have been playing for a couple of years. They like, they knew yep. that like you couldn't pick it up with your hands and stuff. I'm like, yep. oh, I thought it's different balls. <laughs> it is called soccer, not football. But now that I think right. about it, football, you use, okay, so whatever. I'm confused. I'm a kid. It's fine. <laughs> I eventually get over that, right? And I, I come up through the rec league systems and I was, I was a good player and I was a dedicated kid. My father had been a, like a semi-pro athlete and a, and a collegiate athlete. And, you know, it, it pushed me to excel in my sport. And I had done that, right? And I started to feel really good about all that. I was, you know, I was the kid who could drill around anybody and go score goals kind of on demand in our rec league. And so my dad was like, you know what, this probably isn't enough competition for you. So he dropped me into a new group of peers. I went from being king shit to shoveling shit in about eight (laughs) seconds. I show up at a tryout and it looked like I had never played the game again. And I remember this feeling that like I had fooled myself this entire time that I must not have known anything. Right. And I didn't, I wasn't able to compare myself historically to everybody that I was still a better competitor than all I could see now was what was in front of me. And I went, I don't know anything. I can't do this. Right. And it was, it was such a stark contrast to what I had just come from. And I think about all the times that has replayed itself throughout the startup journey. Right. Anytime you you accomplish something, it's kind of like you're always heads down on whatever goal you're trying to accomplish, whatever boss you're trying to beat. The minute you look up from that, you see this whole new landscape that exists on the other side of that. And that's where things get interesting in all the wrong ways when it comes to comparison. You're just like, wow, I thought this was the thing that needed to happen. Everything would be Shangri-La after. Turns out it's another field of barbed wire and landmines. Cool. Here we go again. It starts over. The cycle repeats, right? you know, again, it's easy to use your, your peers as a benchmark, right? Like again, when you're playing soccer, that's also a highly specific situation. Very easy to benchmark. Yep. Wait, quite specifically better at you. They're scoring goals where you're not scoring goals and vice versa. When we look at our peer group, either our immediate peer group, people we actually know, or what I'm going to call our perceived peer group, people who we think we were kind of in the same space on, right? I'll give you an example there where just like, I realized that I was just going to forever lose. In like the mid 2000s, I had moved to Los Angeles from Columbus. And in Columbus at the time, I was like one of the few guys that had ever sold a company. And so like, I I was feeling good about myself. And and I had nothing but success up until that point, right? I was like, maybe 27 or something like that. And so I moved to Los Angeles, it would start a new company out there and, and got settled in. 
And I'll never forget, like I was there for a minute. And then Sarah, now my now wife and I decided to move in together. That's kind of when we started dating. And we moved to Santa Monica. And we moved into this building right on Ocean Avenue in Santa Monica. And it was this beautiful building. Like, like we basically signed the lease within one day of finding this place. So we did zero diligence, right? Anyway, I ended up flying one of my cars from Columbus out to uh, at Santa Monica. It shows up, they, they pull it off the transport or whatever. And uh, I bring it up to the valet. The building had valet. And I said to the valet guy, I'm like, hey, this is a, a Lamborghini, right? I'm like, you know, what kind of special <laughs> parking do, do I get, right? This, this, is, this was such a movie moment, right? Yeah. I was like, well, I didn't say it that way. I'm not that big of a jerk. But like, I basically wanted to figure out where this car was going to go. He's like, sir, let me show you, right? And I'll never forget this. <laughs> he takes me down and this, this is like me, like realizing who I am and who the rest of the world is. He takes me out into the parking lot. He said, it's under the building. He said, on this floor, we keep, you know, a, a lot of the decent cars, right? And they're all like Mercedes and BMWs. I was like, okay, right? Like, like where are you going to park me here? He's like, oh no, sir, we wouldn't park, park your car here. We'd park it downstairs. I like, oh, okay, I'm feeling VIP, right? So he takes me downstairs. He's like, this is where we park your car. I shit you not. There's my Lamborghini and 18 Lamborghinis right next to it, right? And then 18 yeah. Ferraris next to that, whatever. We have a very easy sorting system. Yeah, we just... He's like, but we park the nice cars downstairs. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> right? yeah. But the nice <laughs> ones go downstairs. The nice ones yeah. go downstairs. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he takes you downstairs and it's like nothing but Rolls Royce, Bugatti. Like, I'm like, holy cow. Yep. I'm the poorest person in this building by orders of magnitude right and and that would prove to be incredibly true and the reason i'm saying this is because i was a total rube i like i had no idea that this world actually existed and i felt great about myself for having been able to like you know move into this place or it wasn't that crazy to be fair but even be able to move in this place until i realized who i was compared to people that relative to everybody else there yep it got way worse as I would meet the people in the building and everybody was super nice. Right. They were like, well, where do you actually live? And I'm like here. Right. <laughs> and they're like, Oh no, this is like our fourth house. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we just stop here on our drive between our two other mansions. Yeah. I was, oh, oh my God. Yeah, no, I'm serious. Like, like there was people there. Like when I need somebody young, they're like, Oh yeah, I'm just here. Cause I'm, I'm at USC or something like that. And my parents got me this place. I'm like, huh? Right. And my point is I ended up meeting this other peer group that were so far beyond what I would ever accomplish. I felt like a total loser. Yeah. And isn't that sad? Cause you were happy the day before. Oh my God. Happier than and, hell. And nothing about your life actually changed. Absolutely zero about your situation That's changed other than the measuring stick you were using, right? This is why you never switch from imperial to metric. It just throws you <laughs> off. But it was my point. And this was just such in dramatic fashion, right? In dramatic fashion that all of a sudden I go within 10 minutes, right? In the valet of all people, being my shepherd into who I'm not, right? <laughs> and, and <laughs> Allow me to lead you to your station in life, sir. Like, That's exactly what it was. It was the ghost of Christmas oh, future. And so... All of a sudden, I come back up to our place and, and I'm t- talking to Sarah, who'd be my wife. I'm like, man, I feel shitty. She's like, what are you talking about? This place is amazing. Because she doesn't care about any of this stuff, right? Yeah, but you haven't seen the garage yet. <laughs> yeah, but Bugatti guy. And- <laughs> but take it a step further, man. Compare that to what I just said like 10 minutes ago, which was like my baseline initially was people who eat. <laughs> so think of how many of these like hops that we're talking about. And I feel just as shitty on the last top, right? As yep. I did on the first one. Yep. And I, you know, it, 
all of a sudden you start to realize, hey, I did everything I was supposed to do, right? I went out and I built company and I did startup and I did startup well. Why do I feel exactly the same way? Because you can't win. <laughs> you can't win. And that's and, you know, it's yet another milestone that appears that no matter how well you do, there's always somebody that's done better. Always, always. So let's tie this back to ourselves a little bit because this, this kind of goes back to, I want to harken back to something you said earlier, which was this, the notion of like just you wanting to eat right? Yeah. Pretty high up there in terms of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? But it kind of to the point, each time we we surpass one of those things, a new one crops up. But let's talk about how all of this relates to our personal safety, right? And how that factors into, into the, the competitive set here. Something that we don't think about, we don't quantify, we don't put it in front of us to say, oh, I want my startup to do better. I want to make more money. I want to do these things, right? But what we're often, often talking about is we're competing for our own sense of safety, right? Again, if you talk about some of the most basic fundamental things that we're saying, like, Ryan, when you and I are building this business, we want it to do well, but we also want to be safe, right? Said differently, we don't want it to do more bad, right? Right. And I don't think that that we as founders have chosen a really good line of work that involves safety. <laughs> not <laughs> not like, particularly. Let's just say OSHA hasn't written guidelines for us just yet. You know, it's interesting though, because I think that as in as much as we're trying to achieve, you know, safety, I think that we also do a really horrible job of defining it. It's kind of like saying, like, I want to grow yeah, my okay, startup. Fair. Why? To feel safe or to feel happy, or you know, I, I want it to do better, right? Those are really hard to wrap your, your arms around. We talked about this in a couple other episodes where it's like, if we can get specific about these things, I think this is where safety is important because safety is something that can be to some degree quantified because what we typically mean there is like we have enough money to overcome, you know, typical obstacles or maybe to pay off debts or things that are hanging over us that make us feel unsafe. It's typically financial. Right. And those those have a finite quantity to them, right? So if you can say like, I want my startup to do better so I can feel secure, right? Instead of saying, I want $288,557 or 52 cents, whatever, right? Like just, you know, some actual number of money. I right. just don't know quantities anymore. I've forgotten. So this is the kind of thing where then all of a sudden you can say, now that that will actually make me feel safe. That is, that's something I can also achieve. I think a big part of this kind of to our, our point around this, the, the entire competitive thing is we're comparing to things that we can't even achieve, right? I want to feel happy. Well, what right. the hell does that actually mean? How do we get there? How do we know when we've gotten there? And how long will that actually last, right? So because right. it's so non-quantifiable. So I think that there's this notion within all of this that says, let's be specific about some of this stuff because when you do, all of a sudden it becomes far more achievable, right? You know, something that's really funny about everything we talk about here is that none of it is new. Everything you're dealing with right now has been done a thousand times before you, which means the answer already exists. You may just not know it, but that's okay. That's kind of what we're here to do. We talk about this stuff on the show, but we actually solve these problems all day long at groups.startups.com. So if any of this sounds familiar, stop guessing about what to do. Let us just give you the answers to the test and be done with it. What if I were to say that it's been compounded by the fact that the lack of safety, that we picked the most unsafe job you could possibly pursue, right? We were like, hey, 
I want to build my own safety and my own security. Oh, cool. You went and took a job where you don't get paid most of the time, where you burn through all your financial savings, where you have no idea with whether what you're doing is actually a step ahead or two steps back. How, again, we've said this a million times, you're running naked into the abyss, building a company that's never existed, with a product that's never existed, toward a market that's never existed, with a team that's never existed, and you're doing that for safety? Yeah. <laughs> like, come Oops. on. Yeah. That's like literally that's like literally the opposite. And so not only, you know, are we competing against safety in life, et cetera, and everybody is to some extent. What I'm saying is founders do it while lighting themselves on fire. Yeah. <laughs> right. and, What's the and, safest and, way I can do that? Well, it's not it, it no, really. That's what I'm saying. Yep. It's like, dude, you picked the wrong profession. If your idea was, I'm looking for safety, this is the dumbest way to get it. Go be an attorney or a doctor or literally any yeah. <laughs> job yeah. like Anything this. Right. And so we've got this strange notion that I want to build something because I want to create a life of safety and I'm going to do it in the most unsafe way possible. There has to be a version of us that rationally, steps back and says, wait a minute, these two things really don't align. Like, yes, I like that outcome. But the reason I'm emotionally drained, financially drained, physically drained is because I chose the dumbest way to get there. And I use dumb in like quotes, right? Like, I mean, dumb relative to this is something that you and I are passionate about, but this isn't the most logical. (laughs) That rational version of ourselves does exist, right? And it tends to pop out somewhere in like year five or six, not at the beginning where it might've made sense to consider all this stuff, but at some point where you're like, you're so squeezed that you and this alter ego that would have thought differently about this, it can no longer occupy the same physical space. And it pops out and it starts to talk to you going like, Hey, what the hell were we thinking when we decided to do this? And why did we think safety would even be a consideration within all of this? You know, now knowing what we know, do you see the safety aspect of it as one of the true, like things that we're competing against, or do you see it more as one of those factors that keeps us competing? right? Even well beyond the point of necessity. I guess in this particular case, I think everybody universally startup or no startup is competing for safety, right? It's it's one of our fundamental needs, right? I'm saying that as founders, we create a much more unsafe environment. Here's an example. Up until we we were running our startup, right? We were probably working at a company and we were worried about getting a paycheck. Now we're worried about getting everyone else's paycheck paid right? Like we've created exponentially more problems than we had yesterday, right? Before we were wondering whether our our co-payment on our insurance or something like that, you know, was was reasonable enough at at our job. Now we're wondering whether we can give anybody insurance at all. At all. Right? Like we've created exponentially more checks on our safety. And yet then we're surprised why we feel so unsafe. It's, It's like, dude, you know what you just got yourself into? This is a real perception, you know, to the extent that if you can't pay your bills, etc, you are unsafe in a very deliberate way. I would argue that our perception of safety and our reality of safety are often seriously divorced, right? When I think, hey, we could lose it all, right? I think of being homeless and not being able to feed my children, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is not very realistic, right? But I feel that way. Yeah, no, of course. We've talked about this before. We we live in a world of extremes, right? Like founders love nothing more than a good dose of hyperbole, right? So right. we yeah. assume yeah. that if this goes right, it's going to go all the way right, and we're going to own a piece of the moon. And if it goes poorly, you know, we'll we'll be 
crashing cans and, and turning those in at the local recycling center to buy food for you, right? It's it's all or nothing. And when I think about like, again, how this extends out further, when I think, let's say startups.com, when I think of us growing and quote, beating our competition, which yeah. I always think is funny for us because our competition is helping other founders. So, so yeah. while I guess I would love really. to beat them selfishly, I also want to make sure they also help other founders. But exactly. That's under there. But when I think about, you know, us growing or shrinking, I think about our safety. If, if I talk about what I'm really competing against, if you were to say whatever one of our competitors gets 10x bigger, our compensation doesn't change whatsoever, ergo our safety, then I guess it doesn't really bother me. So it's not only my competitor that I'm worried about, it's my competitor's ability to affect my safety, right? If safety were held constant, I don't know that I'd care about what my competitors were doing. But because they affect my safety, that's really where it's coming from. Yeah. And I think that there's such a fallacy around how much they actually impact your safety. We've talked about this until you until you're in a market that's like fully saturated, where there's like the incumbents have, have gobbled up every bit of the market share. You're not really competing against that. You're competing against your own ability to sell your product into a market that's much larger than what you're currently servicing. Right. I love the idea that like people think, yeah, you know, our competitors are outperforming us. OK, cool. But their performance is relative to yours, but it's not impacting yours, right? They might be selling at 2x the rate you are into a market that's only 2% served. So guess what? It wasn't a zero-sum game. They didn't take shit off your plate. You just forgot to clear what was on your plate. That's it, right? You just didn't do what you need to do with the leads you had or whatever. But there's, there's something else to this, which I think is interesting. And kind of like everything else we've talked about so far today, as we clear a new hurdle, we we construct a new one, right? It's as you said, like we get to the point where we're no longer worrying about, you know, making our mortgage payment. Now we're working about making payroll, right? Now maybe we take on funds. Now we're worrying about getting a return for the investors. Maybe we go IPO and it's all of this, the stakeholders, right? And it's the quarterly reports, it's whatever. We just constantly keep moving those changes, and sometimes quite to the detriment of this notion of safety. And so there's there's this really interesting thing where once we achieve it, we've talked about this before, the value of it completely dissipates right? The car is everything you want until you get the car and then it's valueless and you want to move on to something else. Safety of any given rung on that safety ladder is the thing that you want until you get there and then it's valueless. It's fascinating. It is. It's super fascinating. And at some point, like we have to lean back and look and say like, are we still chasing the, the right thing here? Or is this just progress for progress sake, growth for growth sake? And we've done, I don't need to go on about this. We've done an entire podcast on that exact topic. Well, there's another side of it too, which is every time you go up a rung, the next rung becomes exponentially harder. And there are some rungs that actually go the other direction, which either it's not worth getting there. In other words, yes, maybe I could, but at what cost? You know, it's kind of sell my soul type thing. And the other side of it is, yes, maybe I could make more money, but could it be at the cost of spending less time with my family, right? Or impacting my health? Or again, you know, other things and selling my soul that would have actual cost. There's also another part where it doesn't matter what you do, you're never going to get there, right? I'll give you an example. You and I both know numerous founders who've done exponentially well, right? I can think of four founders off the top of my head within the last five years that have become billionaires, friends of mine. No, actually, I don't know if they've all become billionaires. It doesn't really matter. The point's the same. Um, they sold for over a billion dollars. Very, very large exits. Yeah. yeah, very large exits. And they're all my peers, meaning they're all my same age. They're all people that I've probably known minimum of 10 years, probably 20 years, meaning I just didn't just meet them. I've grown up with them long since before their previous their businesses, they exited. Watch their trials, their tribulations. Yep. And they've made way more money than I have, right? now. With all that said, I can't replicate what they've done, right? Now, now, let me be real specific. We have the same DNA. 
right? In other words, you know, we're, we've got the same capabilities, the same backgrounds, et cetera. Oh, shit. I thought you meant they were actual clones for a minute there. I was like, this is, <laughs> this is fascinating. That's genius. Let's yeah. Start a new no. podcast. We've come through the same path, the same gauntlet, but there is a threshold, particularly among startups, where what happens to the next guy, you actually don't have any control of. And by the way, neither do they, yeah, right? No. In fact, all of them, now that I think about it, are all working on their next business. And none of those businesses are 10% of what their last business was, right? Again, because this, there's a lot of non-controls here. The probability of that is so small, right? And it's it, like it's not it like is, they discovered is. the magic formula for alchemy where they can turn anything to gold, right? It's just not how it works. Sure, absolutely. And so, so I, I'm at a threshold in life where I can't get any further. I don't mean in my personal life. I can, you know, do my own things. But if I were to look at it and go, oh, I want to get further ahead than them, it might happen. It probably won't, by the way, statistically. Like, it's about as far as I'm going to go. Now, now, here's why I bring that up. I should look at that. I should look at that rationally. And I should say, damn, what a cool spot to be, right? What an awesome spot to be, where the only way that I could level up from here is to sell something for like a billion dollars, which it wouldn't, you know, like, not something that I'm probably going to do. Wouldn't that make me super zen? Wouldn't that make me like, oh, well, damn, dude, I, you know, I, I can chill out for a minute, right? I'm okay. Nope. Yeah. That much more frustrating because when you know you can't get to that next level, right? There, there's nothing you can wake up today and do. <laughs> it's way worse. When I knew I could just work harder to try to get to the next thing or at least try, I was in my glory. The moment I realized that, damn, those next levels, that guy with the Bugatti type thing, right? It takes some some fortune, maybe even some actual luck, right? A whole lot of circumstances and things that are well outside your control for that to come together. Inheritance also helps. <laughs> Yes, I've heard. If, if not fortunate or lucky. Won't help either yeah. of us, but yes, yeah, we've heard. Yeah, exactly. But my point is, it's fascinating to me when I look at, you know, this this journey of what we're competing against, right? And, and I think about how many times, like most of what, I, I'm just speaking personally, what I've competed against was made up. I literally made it up. Those baselines were made up. The next steps were made up. All of it was made up right? And then I kind of take it back to, we're going by categories. You know, we talked about a category around our, our safety, around our peers, our ego. Yeah. Our <laughs> made up perception of who yep. we are, what yep. we deserve, what we're capable of, right? And how incredibly tied to that we are, right? And how much of our life it controls. That's what blows me away. What are your thoughts on that? No, for sure. It's, it's exactly what I was thinking about as you were talking about, you know, when you realize you can't accomplish this or you can't achieve that. I was thinking, oh, no, there's a way to go back into believing that all you have to do is turn around and ask your ego and it will probably walk tap you in the shoulder and be like, don't worry, man, we got this. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, it's become it seems to be as society progresses in the way that it is a stronger and stronger lens through which we interpret things, right? This empowerment of the individual. I don't want to go off on too much of a philosophical diatribe here, but we've given it a lot more power. We've given it a lot more power and we've given it a lot more of all the wrong kinds of food so that it can bloat in all the wrong ways, right? Things like those comparisons that we want to draw based on the Instagram version of other people's lives that we talk about, based on those five startups that we know exited that you can look at and go, here are those people that I know that had a billion dollar outcome. Right. What about the other 2,995 that didn't, right? That we also know to the same degree it didn't get the same. Well, we can completely ignore those. Why? Because of ego. 
Ego tells us what we need and want to hear in the moment based on how it's been coached and cajoled. And I'd say that we're, we're, we're nearing an ego crisis in the world at this point. And in terms of the, the founder space, it's one where ego is often on display. And I don't necessarily mean that in a negative way. We've talked about this. There are times where like you're the only one who can believe in yourself because nothing else exists. And sometimes that is kind of the ego talking. But I think that we have to be really careful there how far we go down that path and how much we allow those reactive ego type scenarios to play out versus really thinking through, you know, what the reality of the situation is, what am I actually competing against? What's really going to make me happy versus kind of those, what feel almost instinctive at this level, but really aren't because, you know, it's a manufactured thing. It is. And that's the paradox, right? The paradox is our ego, we can't beat it, right? Because we're the ones that keep reinventing it, but we can easily beat it because we're the ones that keep reinventing it, right? And it's it's this amazing thing. And when I, when I talk to founders, here's what I don't hear. I don't hear from founders, you know, I'm good. You know, two years ago, we did what we said we were going to do when we set out. We're good. And and uh, if, if things just keep going this direction, I've got no other issues. And, and you made this distinction. I hear a small business owner say that. I've mentioned this before, all of my neighbors, which I, it's weird I say this, I only have like four neighbors, but like, but they all happen to own businesses, right? Not like crazy successful, just like regular businesses, right? And they are all your small business owners. They did what they needed to do like 30 years ago. And they're just good, right? No, just I keeps envy going. them. I yeah. envy them, right? They don't understand me at all. Right. When we compare notes, right? We don't either. So it's okay. Like if we can't understand we, we can't expect them to either. It's fair. <laughs> that is fair. But like, but I, I think about it and I'm like, man, at some point their own ego told them, right? Or they came to terms with the fact that they did well, right? They don't deserve more. Deserve being relative, right? Like, you know, I'm saying your own version of what you deserve. They don't deserve more. They don't need more. And therefore, they're satisfied. They're happy. They're at the Shangri-La moment that for many founders, I'll, I'll throw myself into that, can only exist at some amorphous future date, which by the way, never comes. Right? And, and you're, you're constantly, constantly chasing. Again, I'm using myself. No matter how many milestones I hit, I just invent new milestones. And you know, Ryan, over the past couple of years, I know I've been talking to you about this and I've been talking to my wife, Sarah, about this. I'm like, I never thought I'd get this far in life. And not because I'm fabulously successful. I just mean like literally in any capacity, right? Like I never thought I'd have such a cool wife. I never thought that I'd have such cool kids. I never thought that I'd have like, you know, be running a business and all this stuff, right? And now that I'm here, I have no plan from here. Like this is the first time in my life where I'm like scratching my head going, well, damn, now what? It's a weird spot to be in. Uncharted waters. And yet, your ego will still tell you, we must search more. We, That's we, my point. We must seek That's out the next point. island, right? You've achieved more than you ever dreamed. So why stop now? Well, because we're probably good, <laughs> damn it. Right? Wasn't this the whole point? Yeah. Wasn't this the whole point? And it's like, to get to this point and be like, okay, I'm good. Just like my, my neighbors are. Like, again, I envy them. I'm yeah. like, how can you be good? There's so many other things to do. They're like, isn't that funny? I often will find myself doing that. It's like, you know, the person who I recently met a, a guy, really, really nice fellow and just an older guy. Retired now for quite a while, I believe, you know, had a very kind of normal blue collar ish job, saved all his pennies, never had a family, has a couple of like really interesting properties now that he enjoys bopping around and just having a good time with. And I thought, man, I don't envy all of the path. But one of the things that I did find myself envying about it was the specificity and the security of it all. There was a clear goal and a clear way to get there. And that was basically by just continuing to do the same thing. How often in the life of a founder 
does just continuing to do the same thing produce anything other than disastrous results, right? It's just like, man, if I just wake up every day and do the same thing, there's some peace in that. Now, I also think I probably would have gotten hellaciously bored with that. But it is really funny what we end up comparing ourselves to. Again, like, it's not always the case that we're comparing ourselves to some, like, exponentially larger outcome. This is not even, like, if we were just to, like, compare dimes to dimes, I probably have more than this fellow does. There was just something really peaceful about the way he got there that I appreciated. It's like, you know, man, that, that, that doesn't sound too bad. And yet, you know, here I am flinging myself off of that safety net and back into the fire. Cause this is what I like to do. So let it be. But that's the funny thing, man. We can't seem to find the finish line, right? We can't seem to find the finish line. And if you and I were doing this podcast, like 25 years ago, kind of at the beginning of our careers, we could have painted a pretty easy picture to be able to say, yeah, well, maybe that'll change. You know, you and I were very fortunate. We met amazing wives. We had amazing kids. Like, you know, uh, life's been very good to us. But prior to any of that happening, we could have easily said, well, if that just happens, everything will be okay. The reason the timing of this particular episode is interesting to me is because we're already there. Like, you know, we hit this fast forward button, right? And now we're the old grizzled versions of those 20 somethings. And we're looking at it now going, wait, wasn't that supposed to like clear everything up? And the whole point is we're saying, yes, kind of not, right? And again, it's not, it's not a whole disaster. And, and we don't lack for gratitude, no, right? We don't lack for gratitude. But we're still those same people waking up in the morning charging to like knock things over. We're just running out of some of the reasons why we're doing it. Whereas before, it, we had very specific reasons. It's changed. Yeah. You know, it's funny, though. I mean, like the very specific reasons, like they were, they were very specific, but they were flexible, right? It wasn't very specific with a defined outcome where once that was achieved, then there was like some highly like outcome driven milestone was like, okay, once that happens, then X. Right. And I knew people like that growing up. I'm sure you did too, where it was like, they wanted the job with the paycheck. They wanted the house, the picket feds, the kid, whatever. Not that I didn't want those things, but I didn't specifically set all of my efforts towards achieving that. And I've seen plenty of people who did and then did achieve some level of satisfaction there or, if not satisfaction, at least they stopped their, their trajectory. Like they were like, okay, now I've gotten that. I don't need to keep pushing as hard as I did to get to this. I said from the beginning, this was what I want. I was clear on what I wanted. I got it. And now I've stopped. I'm in coast mode or whatever, or just defense mode, right? I'm just going to make sure that I maintain what I have. I don't think I ever had that. I would imagine that's probably a characteristic that's, that's pretty common to, to most founders, which is that there wasn't that specific thing that we were chasing. It was more creation. It was more curiosity. It was more just making stuff out of nothing, making things happen, changing people's minds, changing how people did things. And that never ends. And so, you know, to some degree, I guess we can pity all of ourselves a little bit saying <laughs> there's no end to this. But if we go back to a podcast from, gosh, probably almost a year ago now, where we talked about, you know, what happens if we can just keep doing this until 70, 80, 90, 100, 110, 120, whatever. I'm pretty happy about that because this does satisfy me and I do enjoy what we do. It comes with all of the baggage and challenges that we talked about today. But like, if I have to keep doing this for a long time, I won't be mad about it. I agree with that. I agree with that. I, I think ultimately, man, I think we're all competing with ourselves. And I think that's the hardest thing to wrap our heads around. We wake up this morning and say, you know what? Yes, I want to make payroll. Yes, I want to have a, you know, a better life. Yes, I want to do all these things. But hold on a sec. But I'm not really competing with my peers. I'm not really competing with my competitors. I'm competing with my own vision of what I'm supposed to have. And incidentally, I'm the only person that can do anything about this. The only, the only way to win this game against myself 
is to come to terms with myself, which is actually one of the hardest things to do. So in addition to all the stuff related to founder groups, you've also got full access to everything on startups.com. That includes all of our education tracks, which will be funding, customer acquisition, even how to manage your monthly financers. There's so much stuff in there. All of our software, including BizPlan for putting together detailed business plans and financials, LaunchRock for attracting early customers, and of course, Fundable for attracting investment capital. When you log into the startups.com site, you'll find all of these resources available. 